Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Well, thank you for listening to the Activate podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom, a ministry resource of Journey Church International. My name is Ryan. I'm honored to serve as the Connections Pastor and the host of the podcast with Pastor Christian. Sunday was message three in a five-week series called Jesus and Inner Strength. Uh, we're in Matthew 6, and our message this uh, this week was called Fasting for Breakthrough. Uh, welcome to many of you listening uh, from not only locally but around uh, the United States and beyond. Uh, you can always go to the website, check out this week's uh, sermon, and listen either on the app or the website. As I've mentioned, we've got people tuning in to the podcast for all kinds of reasons, to grow in their faith, to learn how to become a better leader, uh, and everything in between. We're glad you're here listening, and as always, we really hope to activate your faith. Uh, Pastor Christian, over the years, our church body's been extremely flexible in order to fulfill the mission of our church. It's really been uh, amazing to, to watch. Our church spent 18 months at two campuses when we were... Uh, overflowing here, and uh, we started over at Summit uh, Lakes Middle School. We had five services, and then then to stay connected, they were online for 13 weeks uh, during COVID, and most recently back at two campuses to make room for our church body and new folks to get back to church. What what does that tell you about our people and their desire to fulfill the mission God has given us? So I think just listening to the paragraph as you read it tells us that our people are probably annoyed with us and are ready for us to open our new building because we've been bouncing around everywhere. Um, and we just built a building that wasn't big enough five years ago with the, uh, with the number of people God sent our church and blessed us with. But it tells me because I, because I know the people that, that, that left to go to the campuses, it tells me we have a church that cares about people who don't know Jesus. And it tells me we have an incredibly mature group of people at our church who don't need their seat and their parking space and their room in order, in order to worship Jesus. Because when, when we left Summit Lakes Middle School, a local middle school in our area that we were in for five years to move into our first building and then very quickly outgrew that first building, and we're turning, and we're turning people away. I mean, backing up cars on the hall, on, on the highway and having people walk in and turn around and leave and just say, I'll go home and watch it online or having people pull in the parking lot, not find a parking space and turn around and leave. We, we are always a church that exists for people who are not here yet, as well as those who are here. But we could not be a church like that unless those who were here also believed in reaching those that were not here. So when we went to our church and said, we've got people, coming to our church who are being turned away. We need those of you. And listen, this was after a building campaign to raise a building. We, we basically said, we need those of you who helped us raise $1.5 million in pledges to get out of Summit Lakes Middle School so we could have our own building. We need you now. Thank you for your money. But we need you now to go back to Summit Lakes Middle School and give up the chair that you paid for and the auditorium that you paid for and take your kids who are in the nursery and kids space that you paid for and go back to Summit Lakes Middle School because someone who doesn't know Jesus or someone who's hurting spiritually and needs a church like ours won't have a seat unless you decide to go elsewhere. We have nearly 500 people that get up 
and go to Summit Lakes Middle School because they don't care where where we are meeting or how comfortable it is for them as long as the mission of Jesus is being fulfilled. So it tells me we have some people that are inc- are just super super on mission. They love the ministry of our church regardless of the location of our church and how they're receiving it. And whether they're watching it online, whether they're watching video teaching, whether they're sitting in a school gym or whether they're in our auditorium, whether it's a Sunday morning or now as we move into the summer months, a Saturday night, or whether we need a whole bunch more money so we can build a bigger auditorium to be together again. It just tells me we have people that are, that are, that are on mission. And I don't think they're on mission with Journey. I think they're on mission with Jesus. For some reason, he's allowed them to be at Journey right now, and and we benefit by getting to see their faith in action. Uh, but man, it's motivating for uh, for a pastor leader to get up and know that you're you're talking to people who are in the starting blocks. Um, they've run their warm up laps, they've got their track shoes on, and they're like, "Let's go where are we going." They they are ready to be on mission for Jesus. We said we never wanted to be an audience; we wanted to be an army. Audiences watch, armies fight, armies move, armies take ground, and we we've got a church uh, that is moving and is and is ready to move more and is ready to take more ground for Jesus in our city. It's uh, fun. It's been great seeing the committed people. So many so many folks who have you know demonstrated willing sacrifice. Yes. You know one of our leadership values. I was in a fraternity in college and. There were tough times and there were fun times, but all of those things we went through together made us really close. And it's great to see how how our uh, our church is bonded together around one mission and the purpose that Christ has given us. So uh, I'm with you. It's been I'm proud of our church and, and how we're we're on mission and we got some great people. You uh, you start the message talking about discerning spiritual motivation. This was important to Jesus because he not only talks about it here in Matthew 6, but he tells another great parable in Luke 18 about the prayers of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Uh, what, what do these teachings from Jesus tell us about the importance of spiritual motivation? They say to us what God said to Samuel when the prophet Samuel was told that Saul had been rejected as the king of Israel, and God told him to go to a family in Bethlehem of a man named Jesse because one of his sons was going to be king. And Samuel shows up at Jesse's house and he meets his firstborn son, son, big, tall, good-looking kid, and he thinks, surely this is him. And it's not. And then he meets his five little brothers and it's none of them. And God tells Samuel, don't look at their height. Don't look at their appearance. For God doesn't look at people the way that People look at people. When God looks at people, he sees the heart. And there's a kid who's still out in the pasture watching the sheep. He's the one that I want. It tells us the same thing that Second Chronicles 16.9 tells us when one of the prophets of God confronted a king in Israel whose name was Asa, who had reached out to foreign kingdoms for help instead of turning to the God of Israel and saying, help me. And a prophet went to Asa and said, the eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the entire earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It tells us that God looks at the heart. And what Jesus is saying is that I look at the heart. And he said, the Pharisees so many times, their spiritual motivation was to be recognized by men so they would be praised by men so they would be thought of as spiritual. But God doesn't look at any of that stuff. God looks 
at the heart. And that's the whole message of Matthew chapter 6 that we're trying to get to, Jesus and inner strength. We're talking about Jesus and the things that really only Jesus sees. Nobody really sees your prayer but Jesus. Nobody really, nobody really sees, like we talked about last week, um, with Mary. No one sees how you think or how you feel but Jesus. Nobody sees the things you're willing to deny yourself as we talk about fasting this week, but Jesus. Really nobody sees your giving. I mean, there, there are very few people sitting in your row at church or sitting in your service at church who know what you give, but, G, but Jesus does. And there are very few people who see you willing in an anxious moment to look at the birds of the air and think, God takes care of them. He'll take care. Like only Jesus sees those things. And Jesus said the most spiritual parts of your life are not what others see in you or praise in you. They're what God sees from your heart. So this whole series is about having a motivation that lives for an audience of one. We talked about my fellowship of Christian athletes days and in high school and, you know, the first real Bibles that I read through, the first real Bible studies that I led, the first time I ever learned to reach my friends and do spiritual life was all through Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And one of their big themes was audience of one. You you live your life to please God. He's the only guy you're, you're worried about pleasing. And I love the point we made in our message because I think more Christians need to hear it. So, so the thought of an audience of one is really easy to apply to an athlete because no one who scores a touchdown is expecting that both sidelines will cheer. They're fine disappointing one to please the other. And we live in a world of Christianity that wants to please everyone. It's like, and, and, and we even have Christian leaders who are saying, well, if you, like if, if the, if people who don't know Jesus aren't pleased with you, you're failing. No, 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 no. In an audience of one, sometimes your head coach is really pleased. But you've disappointed the head coach of the other team. And if we think we can play on a field that when we score a touchdown, both sides of the stands are cheering, we are, we are dead wrong. We are playing on the 50-yard line and no one's scoring. But if we play for an audience of one and we think, I know who my coach is, and if he's pleased, I could care less if the whole other team hates me. If my coach is pleased, I could care less if the other team, if their spirits are crushed. As a matter of fact, that's what I'm hoping happens when I score. I think that motivation... Uh, for me, it's all about God, and if I believe I'm living in a way that pleases God, honors God, honors His Word, follows His Word, there's going to be detractors. Jesus said in Matthew 5, people will hate you, persecute you, lie about you, talk about you. It's okay. It happens for everyone who plays for an audience of one. As long as your head, as long as your head coach is happy that you're scoring, don't worry about the other side. Great, uh, great insight and a great illustration. I, I, I don't think I've ever thought of it that way. But yeah, you can't, the whole stadium doesn't erupt when you score touchdown. No, only, only your side. Yeah, yeah, the other side doesn't erupt. And too often, yeah, people's motivation is I gotta please everyone. And, yes. And you cannot. No. You, you talk about the types of fasting in your message, right? Several different, uh, biblical, uh, examples of fasting. What do you know of Jesus' experience or, or practice of fasting? Well, when we look at his life specifically, He's obviously known for the 40-day fast that he did at the beginning of his ministry. Prior to his first big season of ministry, 
you know, he, he had what we would call a supernatural fast, one that he, you, like you can't go 40 days without eating food and really stay alive unless, unless God sustains you. So we see the supernatural fast of Jesus and we talk about, so, so we see his example and then we hear his teaching when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and John and they come down the mountain and there's a boy who's been possessed by a demon since his youth. And the dad has brought it to Jesus, nine remaining disciples and said, like, you got to help me. And they couldn't help him. And Jesus comes down the mountain and says, faithless generation. And the dad says to Jesus, if you're willing, please help me. And Jesus is like, what do you like? Or she, I think he's, yeah, if, if you can help me, help me. And Jesus is like, what do you mean? If, of course I can. All things are possible for him who believes. And the, the great prayer of this dad, I believe, help my unbelief. It's like, I want to believe, but I'm having a hard time. Jesus heals the guy. Later, the disciples were like, how come you could heal him and we couldn't? And he says, sometimes this, this type only comes out by prayer and fasting. So Jesus, he models fasting before major seasons of spiritual push. He teaches fasting when there are major spiritual needs. Yet at the same time, probably in his his most desperate spiritual moment, he eats a massive meal with his disciples right before he goes and prays. So it's it's not a lucky charm that he has uh, or or a formula that he keeps where like if there's a big spiritual moment, I have to fast. But he models that before you really lean into something God's called you to do, you should fast and pray. And he teaches when you're facing something huge spiritually, it's good to fast and pray. And I think the, I, I called it on our sermon notes, the uh-oh moment of Matthew chapter six is Jesus assumed that all his followers would fast. I mean, when he says twice, when you fast, not if, when you fast. And then you realize he said, when you pray and when you give. And if we looked at praying and giving like we looked at fasting, those are not if things. Those are like, those are win things for Christian. When, when you give, not if you give. When you pray, not if you pray. Jesus, when, when you fast, and it's like, oh boy, that's, that's not something we teach as a spiritual discipline often and early in the life of kids. And for us to be able to have a summer of kind of breakthrough, uh, fasting for spiritual breakthrough, um, I think following the, the model of Jesus, as you get ready to head into a big spiritual moment, pray and fast. Following the teaching of Jesus, when you're facing a big spiritual moment, pray and fast, um, you know, and giving up something to create a need that Jesus has. I think when you look at those moments, those teachings in the life of Jesus and, and what we're facing today as Christian people in the world that we're living in, fasting is a, is a good, if, if it, uh, like supercharges prayer, I think all of us need that. I, I say, uh, let's figure out how to add this and do this in our life. Yeah, I think it's another great example of him not just telling us something, but him having modeled it in tremendous ways. Uh, so uh, appreciate your insight and in-depth um, helping people to understand that he didn't just talk about it. He, he did it as well. A really great spiritual challenge from your message was when you talked about the nine biblical purposes of fasting. You know, great info, great biblical references to, to challenge each of us. What impact for you personally has has fasting had maybe in your life or maybe someone you know of that you've seen some really great breakthroughs in their life? So I think when when we just define fasting as 
as basically helping yourself realize and creating a need that reveals a spiritual need for you or revealing distractions that have kept you away uh, from Jesus. I think when I, when I personally think of my journeys in fasting, whether in food or from what we call pa- passions or distractions, I think the two things that fasting has, has revealed to me, uh, is one, I don't live with enough spiritual dependence on Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. My stomach will growl without food faster than my spirit will growl without Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it should not be that way. Cause spiritually I need Jesus more than I need food physically. Like I, I shouldn't be able to go a day or a couple days or a week without connecting with Jesus and in my body physically. Cause I like to eat. I was going to say, this is a hard one. For yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. So I skip a meal and my stomach will tell me about it. And if you're near me, you'll hear, we talked about the growl that the meditation last week with the lion, you'll hear my body say, I think it's time for food. I wish my soul responded that fast. So the the food fast for me has revealed to me my body often has a greater need for food than my spirit has for Jesus. So I need I need to learn how to increase my dependence on Jesus. Fasting from distractions has revealed to me the massive amounts of time I waste filling my head and my heart and my spirit with absolutely nothing. Because when you begin to remove hobbies, activities, social media, uh, television shows, when, when you begin to, to remove some chunks of time and all of a sudden you find yourself with hours and they're not even hours that you like, you re- really want to read your Bible and pray. You think, boy, my spirit is so satisfied with so little of Jesus. It's like we've, we've had a spiritual gastric bypass surgery that we didn't even know. It's like, I only need a tiny bit of Jesus to fill my soul. Fasting helps you kind of, kind of carve out a bigger space for Jesus. So you can feel that hollowness and emptiness that's, that's being filled with the junk food of distraction in life. So I think for me, fasting has revealed my spirit is not as hungry as my stomach and it should be. And sometimes my spiritual stomach can be satisfied with very small bites of Jesus. And, and I want to, and I want to learn how to, how to create a, uh, uh, a bit, a, a way to handle more of Jesus than, than I did before. Yeah. No, great, great points. And I agree. There's conviction in my own heart of, of how I would, uh, either struggle to fast or struggle to want to be around Jesus as much as I want some Rotel cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get, yes. Forgive In me. this podcast of fasting, I'm beginning to get hungry. Yeah. I'm, yeah just thinking about it, talking about here. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For many listening, the concept, even the practice of fasting is new or, or maybe they've never done it. What, which of the biblical fast listed and for how long would you recommend to those listening if they're just getting started? That's a phenomenal question. I'm going to pull up the list to make sure that I have it in front of me as we go. So I, I would start with, um, so I like, I like the Daniel fast, right? So we listed nine types of fast, normal fast, eight types, normal fast to abstain from all foods, drink only water, partial fast, abstain from certain types of food, absolute fast, abstain from all foods and liquids for a short time, supernatural fast, no food or water for an extended amount of time. 
That's what Moses and Elijah and Jesus did. A private fast, a private choice for a personal spiritual matter, a corporate fast, spiritual community fasting together, a national fast for the Jewish people like on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, um, or a regular fast, you know, every year you do this at the exact same time. I, I would start with, if no one's ever fasted, either a partial fast, which is certain, certain types of food, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give up. And, and as I joked in my message, like this has to be something you'd realize if, if somebody came up f- to me and said, Hey, let's, um, let's fast from coffee for a week. I'd be like, I'm in. Yeah, no, no problem for you. Cause I have fasted for coffee from coffee for 43 years. No, no problem. If somebody said, Hey, let's fast from diet Coke. Like that would be a supernatural fast. Like the Lord would have to sustain me, um, because I've not been fasting from that. Don't know that I, that I could without a serious crash. Um, but I think the partial fast of el- eliminating, eliminating a craving from a type of food, whether it would be chocolate or, you know, your favorite dessert or your favorite drink for a week, uh, because that you, you would feel that. And every time you thought about that, you would think about how your spirit needed to hunger for Jesus. So I would say a partial fast or an absolute fast of a meal, meaning I skip a complete meal. So I don't eat lunch for a week or I skip breakfast if I routinely eat that. Um, an absolute fast where where your real hunger would be revealed and where you would spend that time in prayer or a fast from a distraction. Those would be one of the three that I begin with. And as we fast all summer long, one week at a time, I'm going to ask people to do different ones of these fasts. But yeah, I'll probably in June ask them to start with a, a type of food, food, food group, type of food, drink that you'll feel or a meal that you'll feel or a distraction that, that you'll miss. I think those three are the three to start with and you'll, you'll begin to Create a hunger that'll make you realize your soul should be hungry, and you'll you'll create some more headspace to try to figure out why you can be satisfied with so little of Jesus when it takes so much of something else to so much baseball, so much football, so much golf, so much, uh, you know, whatever, so much social media, so much Netflix. Um, you know, you can get by on five minutes with Jesus a day, but boy, you try to do five minutes at Netflix and you feel like you're dying some lessons for your soul in that. So those those are the three that I think I would begin with as people begin their fasting journey. I would say to tune in all summer long to our Monday morning prayer. Start Sunday night, June 6th, where we'll begin kind of our fasting and meditation. And then every Monday morning after that, all the way through August, we'll just teach a little more on fasting, prayer, meditation. I would say every week at 6 a.m. or when you can, go back to YouTube, Facebook and tune in to just the little seven or eight minute devotional and really, really try to create a need that reveals our need for Jesus or eliminate a distraction that keeps our focus from Jesus. Uh, great points. If if uh, you want to hit rewind, you're going to want to listen to that last part about how to how to really begin to implement this. It's one thing to learn it. Right? I've learned a lot of things in sermons. I've applied much less. So uh, this is kind of that activate moment because even if you're you're starting small, that's a good place to begin to to build your hunger for the Word of God for time with Jesus, and and uh, and you'll grow, and and I think you'll be pleased, and Jesus will be pleased to spend more time with you. Pastor Christian, thanks for the insight today on the podcast. Thank you for listening. 
Uh, as always, we're, we're glad you tuned in to gain some insight to grow. If you're a new listener, welcome to the podcast. Please share this with some friends. We hope you'll, you'll come back for more biblical insights and ways to activate your faith. Of course, if you're in town, come see us in person. If you're listening from outside the Kansas City area, uh, tune in, check out the uh, the message online. Um, we would love to hear from you, uh, how God's working in your life. You can email us, ask a question. You can email uh, activate at takethejourney.cc. Otherwise, we look forward to catching you next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Activate. We would love for you to join us in person for one of our weekly worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Help us get the word out about this resource. You can do so by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing this episode on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.